Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in the Ravens podcast. Again, I'm your host, Bo Smolka, along with my co-host, former Ravens tight end, Daniel Wilcox. And we come today after a thoroughly disappointing loss at Miami on Thursday Night Football last week. The Ravens losing 22-10 to in probably their most disappointing performance of the season. And Daniel Wilcox, we talked last week about the difficulty of playing on Thursday night, especially on the road. And boy, that sure seemed to play out in that game. Absolutely, Bo. Um, the Ravens went down to a, a hungry team down at Miami, and it's a hard place to win down there in Miami. And um, they it got showed up a little bit, you know. So, I mean, they, I think they put together an excellent game plan. Um, ours was not as good as we wanted it to be at the time, and um, we got a little bit outcoached and got a little bit outplayed, I think, and um, Miami came up with a victory. And you talked to me once before about you remember playing at Miami – and was that a short week? You talked about the difficulty of playing on a short week, specifically at Miami. Yeah, absolutely. So I remember, I think it was my last season. It might have been like 2007 or eight or something like that. We went down to Miami and uh, Miami wasn't very good that year. I think they only won one game all season long. This was towards the end of the season. So it was like week 12, week 13 or something. And we went down to Miami and got thumped, you know, and um, it was one of those games where it, it just nothing would go right. It just seems like no matter what you could do, you know, nothing would go right. And it's hard to win down. It's, it's extremely loud in almost every single NFL stadium across the country. But Miami has one of those older stadiums and um, their fans come out to support. They, they're not fair weather fans. They're going to be there whether or not the team is great, whether or not the team is good or bad. They don't care. Um, they're loud when they're supposed to be and they're quiet when they're supposed to be as well. So um, very disciplined crowd, man. And um, we went down there and, and the game started off kind of shaky and and you can feel the energy of another team, right? You know, the other team is always trying to end the other team's playoffs hopes. They was like, they, they ain't going to win today. They may, we may, we may be the sorriest team in the league. But right now, you know, we got this team. You know, they, they prepare better than the other team. The other team kind of not necessarily took the week off, but didn't prepare as well as they should have. The game plan might not have been as solid as they thought it was, or the coaches didn't put in a little bit enough time into making sure that they, they, they got rid of all the, the team's strengths and all their weaknesses and, and took advantage of their weaknesses. And um, sometimes you just fall short, man. And when you look at this Ravens game, the first sign, I think, for the Ravens was, what, Tucker missed a kick? You know <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, well, I can't believe that. Hold on now. Something ain't right. You know, he hit his first one and he missed his second one. And it was wide right just a little bit. Not not much, but still, it's, it's Tucker, you know. So when he started missing kick, kicks, it's kind of like, hey, man, some, 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 it's a little bit off right now. You're exactly right. When he missed that kick, because you remember the Ravens, they struggled later in that game, but their first two drives, they moved the ball. They they uh, mm-hmm. they had a bad delay of game that pushed them back, and then they kicked a field goal. And then on the second drive, they, they missed a field goal. And you're thinking, wow, they are dominating this game, and they're only ahead three to nothing. And that is a bad sign when you're playing a, a, you know, a team that you should be able to beat. And to your point, I mean, late in the season, you'll have a game where maybe a 10-5 and five team is playing a 5-10 and 10 team, and the 5-10 and 10 team really has nothing left to play for. But these guys are all professionals. They're all professional players. They have pride, and they're going to compete. I mean, these guys have competed their entire lives. It's what they're doing. It's how they're wired. Let me ask you about the Dolphins game specifically, this game. Every time the Ravens lose, the next day people say, oh, this is the team that figured out Lamar Jackson. This is the team that figured out (laughs) Lamar Jackson. This is how you beat the Ravens. They showed everyone how to beat Lamar Jackson. 
The Dolphins played a ton of cover zero. They blitzed like crazy. As a player, explain to our listeners what exactly cover zero defense is, why would a team play it, and what's the best way to counter it? Cover zero is a man-on-man coverage. It's not a zone coverage at all. Everybody is locked up on an individual man. Um, the way it's broken down is there is usually always five offensive offensive linemen on the field at all times. So there's six, six skill positions, five that can go out on passes. The other one is the quarterback. All right. So when you go cover zero, everybody is locked up on those four or five, those five or six skill guys. And um, they're locked on a man on man. And then it's basically saying my athletes is better than your athletes. And, you know, in the NFL, Bo, everybody got athletes. What I saw that Miami did was they went they went with a base three, four defense. You know, they didn't just run cover zero. They ran a lot of cover one, a lot of a lot of cover zero, a lot of cover three. And they ran some quarters as well, which which was surprising because they did a lot of quarters on third and short and third and long. Um, to try to keep everything in front. What they did try to do was not get beat deep. And I could tell you one example. It was early in the game. Um, I think it was Sammy Watkins. And Lamar kind of threw a lofter up down the middle. And I think Sammy might have lost the ball in the lights or something like that. He couldn't find the ball. If the Ravens had a score on that play, then you wouldn't have saw no more cover zero. That was a cover zero play. And um, Lamar did a phenomenal job. You talking about a veteran throw? That's a veteran throw. Like he, I mean, that's a Russell Wilson throw. You know, he he lobbed that ball up early. Pressure was coming. Uh, I think number eight for Miami was coming off the edge clean. Nobody blocked him because every every single down, it seemed like Miami was sending one more guy than the Ravens had back there to block. You know, you pick up five, they send in six. You pick up six, they send in seven. You know, so it's like it's every single play. They did a good job of rushing rushing the Ravens, and uh, I felt like they they D line and they linebackers did a phenomenal job of just causing havoc all night. Even when they didn't blitz, there were some times they only rushed four or five, and and they still got to Lamar like no problem, and kind of rattled everything, man, and messed everything up, kind of disrupted timing for the Ravens, you know. Um, but if Sammy Watkins had caught that ball early on then you wouldn't have seen any more cover zero. Uh, it's so interesting yeah. you say that because Mark Andrews after the game said exactly that. Now, Holland was the safety. You're talking about number eight that was it was uh, so aggressive the whole game. And you're right, the, the Dolphins often lined up eight straight across the line of scrimmage and, and, and sometimes two dropped and they rushed six. Sometimes all eight rushed, but and they were going to dare uh, Jackson to try to beat them. with. Ha- he had to make quick decisions, but... Mark Andrews said after the game, yeah, they played cover zero. It was wide open. If we hit on one of those, they have to get out of that. But they could yeah. never they could never hit on it. And on that one to Sammy Watkins, you're right. I don't know if Watkins lost the ball or I don't know if he lost where he was on the field, but it looked like he he just didn't play play the ball and it actually landed right at the back stripe of the end zone. So it was a it was a catchable ball that Jackson it's threw exactly where it had to be. And and Watkins had to step on the on the defender. So that was a we call those dimes, Bo. It was. Dropped, it was dropped a dime. <laughs> it, it was right there. It was right there to be had. So one thing, Jackson, I, I will say the Dolphins got Jackson out of his comfort zone. <clears throat> he looked as uncomfortable to me as I remember seeing him. I, you know, he was making late checks at the line of scrimmage. He was frustrated on the sideline. Things clearly weren't working. One of the things that looked like it might work when they're going to blitz like that are these quick slants to uh, you know, Rashad Bateman. He caught one early in the first half, or he caught one pass in the first half, and then they later in the game he had a quick slant for their first first down. But I thought that was one of the ways they might have been able to counter that a little more is these quick slants because Bateman's just got 
terrific hands. And I think if he could get inside his man, you get on that quick slant and he's maybe got eight to 10 yards. Well, so now the Ravens are struggling. They're right. They're struggling mightily. They're down six to three at halftime. As a player, when you go into a halftime, you know, and, and nothing is working, take us inside that locker room. What's the discussion among players? And what do coaches tell players at that halftime when, when the first half is just when nothing has gone right? Well, for the players, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. You only see what you see, you know. So I don't know what's going on through the whole field, right? I don't know what going what goes on right over me, you know. So if the end is pinching, if I'm playing tight end and the end is pinching every single play, I come to the locker room man, and say, man, the end is pinching every single play. We got to do something to get outside of them, you know. And that's my excitement, you know. I can, I can pin them in and then we could come around the edge. You know, everybody like, everybody has their own thing that they see. You know, the coaches upstairs has a bird eye view and they got instant replay. They can watch this stuff over and over again. We come to the sideline and we get we used to get screenshots of the actual formations. So you could take a, a pre-snap read or what it was. And you could take like a, a after the snap read where everything was. So you could see how they lined up before the, the snap. And then you can see how they lined up after the snap. But that's after every series. During the series, it, you, you won't have time. All you got time to do is react. You know, so it's like everything that's going on in front of you is a split second. It's so extremely crazy. It's like watching. It's like being in Germany and just sitting on the side of the highway and just watching Ferraris and Lamborghinis fly up and down Autobahn nonstop. You know, and you're like, oh, my God, what, what kind of car was that? It was going too fast. I couldn't even see it. That's how fast it is on the actual field. So you don't have time to think. You don't have time to guess. You have to know exactly what it is that's going on. So if the coach is up top, are not having that conversation with you in between each series, you don't have a clue. You know, you, you so you come in at halftime just as frustrated as a fan would be. Man, what the heck going on? Ain't nothing working, man. What's going on? Ain't nothing working. And then you're trying to discuss that. And then and then Lamar, may, he, he has a better bird's eye view, I guess, and everything because he's kind of back there in the back and kind of scanning the whole field. You know, so you'll go to him, man, what do you see? And then he might say, were you open on this play? And I'm like, man, I was wide open. You know, I, the guy was on my hip, but I broke out late. You know, if you got a little bit more time to wait on me, I can get open for you. No problem. You know, so you're trying to come up with solutions as players. But then the coaches come down out of the booth. They all up top. You got a bunch of coaches up top and you got some coaches on the field. And then they all come together. They have their meeting at halftime. And then they come over to you and talk to you about what they've discussed amongst each other. So they've already they should have came up with a game plan by that time. And then they're going to come over to you and you're going to sit down with your position groups and they're going to draw it up on the board. Hey, this is what they're doing, man. They're, they're in a three, four defense. You know, they're, 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 they're showing us cover um, one, but then they're, they're press belling it to cover three. You know, it's disguised or whatever. And what they're doing, they're lining all these guys up on, on the line. Cause this is exactly what Miami was doing. They basically threw the Ravens old defense with Rex Ryan used to do at the Ravens. Right. They brought, all their guys, the linebackers, everything on the line of scrimmage. It looked like they was going to rush eight, and then they drop three, four off, and then they only send five. But what happens is the old lineman has has the account for the three big men first and foremost. Then you have to account for those linebackers. What happens when they drop a big guy out and they drop a linebacker out that you accounted for? Two DBs on the side that are coming full tilt to the quarterback, and they the fastest guys on the, on the whole line. But you're not going to take a big guy and put him on a little guy. You always got to account for the big guys. So Miami did exactly what the Ravens just do all the time with all with the best defense in the league. And they dropped out a couple of big guys sometimes. The big guys playing in the middle of the field. There's nobody running in the middle of the field. We had no crossing routes last night for some reason. It blew my mind why we didn't have any crossing routes. But anyway, you usually when you when you when you have a zero blitz like that, you wanna you wanna throw the ball to the guy where the blitzer is coming from. 
You know, so if you got a guy in the slot and the guy comes off the slot, you throw the ball to the guy in the slot. You know, so you got to do it right away. So for some reason, we didn't account for that a lot last night. And we played a lot of two tight end, three tight end sets last night still without, the, you know, um, without Boyle. You know, um, and, and I think that hurts us some, you know, a lot. You know, I, th- I really do. I think it hurts us. I think it limits us to what we could do with our offense because our offense is so centered around the tight end, you know, for Lamar. But when they line those eight guys up along the line like that, Bo, man, you got guys pointing out, all right, the center got the nose. This guy got the tackle, the other tackle. And you got five linemen. And then they send, they send six or seven guys. And there's one guy, Scott Free, every single time. I'm talking about he coming off the edge smoking. And Lamar don't have time to do anything with the ball. If he step up into the line, he running right into the rush. You know, if he slide right, he running right into the rush. If he slide left, he running right into the blitzer. You know, so it's like you you have to you have to be able to have those short checkdowns and stuff right away. And then what happened when they brought those eight guys up to the line? If the running back was a normal checkdown for Lamar, one of those guys on the line was taking him immediately. So he he couldn't even throw to the checkdown. You know, so he had to be able to step up or find a lane, and there wasn't any lanes to be found last night. So, I mean, it, it was a tough, it was a tough situation for him. No, and I, it looked like he, like I said, I thought maybe a couple uh, quick slants to Bateman might have worked. It looked like he checked down a couple times to kind of what you might call a wide receiver screen to Marquise Brown. But to the Dolphins' credit, they also, when they tried to run those, they they, they just tackled well in space too. I mean, they got they 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 made good open field tackles on Marquise Brown. There's Little passes, quick passes to Brown going for a yard. Maybe another wide receiver missed a block, and then they got the defender on Brown right away. How hard is it for Greg Roman as the offensive coordinator to, you know, you spend all week preparing a game plan. You spend all week, pretty much from the minute the previous game ends, this coordinator is crafting a game plan. You practice it. You install it. You practice it. You practice it. Then the game happens and nothing's working how hard is it for him to kind of adjust and change that game plan? And we always talk about coaches make adjustments. They got to make adjustments. What goes into making those adjustments and how hard is it? I think it's extremely hard. You know, I've coached a little bit since I retired from the NFL. And um, one of the things I noticed, man, like you, you spend all week putting together your game plan. It's hard to just trash the game plan and get totally away. You feel like you you lose the trust of your team when you do something like that. Right. All right. This ain't working. You know, dust your hands off and let's let's move on to something that we haven't even practiced. You know, how do you do that? Like you, you practice all week long. You practice. 300 reps of the plays that you're going to run in this game. And you're going to run each of those plays probably 10, 15 times, right? And then you go into the game, and now you're trying to call something that you're not even sure if your guys remember. Because remember, the playbooks are like 2 million plays. You know, It's like 2 million plays. So, yeah, you you pretty much got the basis of the offense. Once you get the basis of the offense, you can kind of figure out anything. But if you hadn't ran that play in three, four months, and now you calling the play up, and then somebody busted assignment or busted coverage, and that's kind of happened in the Raven defense last night. You saw some busted coverages, right? You know, where guys was running wide open, scot free, and you like kind of scratch your head figuring out why. But that's what happened on offense is ten times worse than defense. Defense is like organized chaos. Offense is like synchronized swimming. If one thing is off, you see it right away. Like it messes up the entire performance, man. So first of all, the NFL is like one of the most stressful jobs. In the world. So imagine if you're making a million or so dollars to call plays and to call them in stressful situations. You scrap your entire your entire game plan because they 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 won up to they won up to they they got you. They got your number tonight. You know, now you scrap your entire game plan. You start calling plays that you guys haven't practiced in months or weeks or whatever it may be. And then they busted plays and they cost you even more problems. You know, I think what happens a lot of times you just try to save face and not get blown out. 
you know, all right, they got me on this one. I'm gonna chalk this one up. Let's let's kind of make sure our guys stay healthy, stay safe, and and we'll we'll get them next time. You know, um, but I think it comes up to a, a situation, and it 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 becomes extremely stressful, both like during the actual game itself, right? Because you're sitting there trying to think exactly what they're doing to you, and how you can combat what you're doing, what they're doing, and you can't just draw the play up in the dirt. You have to go to your deep playbook, your Rolodex, and try to pull some out of there. And if you call it, you call it, and it doesn't work, then you put yourself further and further and further in a hole. And it's a scary situation to be in when everybody is looking at you like, what are you going to call? What are you going to call? You know, so I can understand how it feels. I've been OCs. I've been OC. You know, I've been special teams coordinator for like 10 years of after retirement. And, and it's not it's not an easy it's not an easy task. Man. I gave up a touchdown one time in the state championship game, boy, and I was sick. Sick. <laughs> we lost the state championship, man. And I think my touchdown was the determining factor of what changed the momentum of the game, right? You know, so you want to be very cognizant that every single inch counts and every single play call counts, and you put your team in the best situation to be successful. And the Ravens have that, tiny, that type of team, especially on offense, where they can get a big play instantly. So if you just stick with your guns – Eventually, maybe something will unravel. Somebody will bust a play, and all of a sudden, you're going to be wide open down the field, and Lamar Jackson going to put the ball in that guy's hand. It's an easy, quick touchdown. And you made a point earlier about about how the Dolphins tackle. Phenomenal job. It's a great point, Bo. Great point. When I say one, the, the biggest difference in this game for me was turnovers and tackle tackling. Like I feel like the Ravens didn't tackle well. It was sometimes that Albert Wilson made those guys miss and, and shaking people out of their shoes and stuff, and guys are stumbling and falling down. Every time we touch the ball, two, three, four guys tackling our guys. I mean, the Dolphins' defense look like the Ravens' old defense. You know, like they're they're magnets to the ball, and and you got to take your hats off to to Miami. I can guarantee you, they coach said, "Man, we got to tackle these guys." You know, Hollywood don't make guys miss week in and week out and week in and week out, but not not the other night. <laughs> that wasn't the case. No, they and honestly, tackling's been a problem for this Ravens team all year. And you know, you can argue how whether it's the reduced time in in practice, the reduced physical play they're allowed to have, the rules and so forth. But like I said, other teams tackle are tackling better. So, but tackling has been a consistent problem this year. Before we get to a quick defensive question, let me ask you something else about the offense. And speaking of consistent problems, this Ravens team ranks twenty eighth in the league in converting third downs. They're just not, and and that's that becomes a consistent problem because then you're you're putting your defense on the field more. You're not extending drives, and everything kind of falls apart at that point. They didn't have a third down conversion in the entire first half against Miami, and again, that's why they're trotting Sam Cook on the field so often. I thought one of the big plays in that game early on. They're driving. It's the opening drive of the game. They've got third and four, and they take a delay of game. Um, and it looked like they was they were just out of rhythm all night. It looked like Lamar Jackson was getting these plays called with one second left or, or getting the ball snapped barely on on time. Uh, but now third and four delay of game, it becomes third and nine. Um, the other problem they're having is they are they're just not getting enough. Coaches like to call it being on schedule. They're just not staying on schedule. They're getting nothing on first or second down, and now it's third and nine or whatever. The last three first down runs by their running backs in that game. Last three times they ran the ball on first down to a running back. Not when Lamar Jackson scrambled, but their last three runs by a running back on first down got zero, zero, and zero yards. So you're looking at second and ten, and you're looking at third and long. 
Uh, how can how can they fix this? How can they get better on third down? Um, they got to go to the analytics the analytics guy. You know, you go to the analytics guy um, in Baltimore. Um, I think his I think his name is Dave, um, but he's phenomenal, phenomenal guy, and he does a phenomenal job of helping the Ravens understand what their tendencies are. You know, so let's say the Ravens run the ball a hundred percent of the time on first down. If I'm if I'm playing against them from Miami, I'm gonna put in a hundred percent run defense on first down. So that's why you're getting no yards on first. You know, I'm putting in the run stoppers to stop your running backs and to stop you from running the ball on first down. If I can get you at a second and 10, if I can get you at a second and 13 or third or second and 14, then that puts us in a better odds of you having to punt the ball again. <clears throat> and that's what it's all about. How can I get, how can I play chess to move around my pieces to beat your pieces, you know, so my king can take your king. All right. And, um, at the end of the day, that's why I used to love watching Ray Lewis play Tom Brady or, or Peyton Manning back in the day. It was a chess match. You saw there, you, Peyton would check, Ray would check. You know, Ray would check, Peyton would check. You know, and it was like they watched film and they studied film on each other so much that they knew each other's tendencies, they knew their signals, their calls, their everything. He knew when Peyton was going to check to the slant. He knew when Peyton was going to check to the out and up. He, he knew when he was going to call the wheel route or the shallow cross routes across the field. And that's what this, this thing is really all about. It's about playing chess with your opponent and to be able to have somebody as sharp as those guys on the field that can that can actually study and prepare like a real coach. You know, your Tom Brady's, your Peyton Manning's, your, your Ray Lewis's, you know, those guys are the guys that are game changers for you, right? And that's when you see those big explosive plays. This game is, this game is such a high pace, super fast, like, no time to think, just all reaction game. You practice, 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 practice all week, and you want to practice fast. Um, it was a fatigue factor, right? The defense and the amount of plays, you you know, you average about 60 to 65 plays a game on average. The Ravens, I think, had 70 plays this game, and um, the Dolphins, I think, may have had like 65. You know, so the Ravens were right at where they were supposed to be on average-wise, and so was the Dolphins. Um when you when you look at it is the amount of time that your defense is on the field. You know, you're getting your defense wore down. So as an OC, like you're thinking, oh, my God, I can't do a three and out. I can't do a three and out. I can't do a three and out. And that's that pressure is on you while you're making these play calls as well. Because if I get a three and out, my defense just came off the field like literally 30, 40 seconds ago. Three plays can be gone literally in 30, 40 seconds. And now they're right back on the field again, you know, feeling the punt and then having to play defense, right? You know, so that's an added pressure on an OC when your offense, your offense isn't clicking the way that it should, right? You know, so I'm sitting up here thinking like, man, my defense has been on the field way too much. I got to keep my guys on the field some kind of way. So now I'm stressing myself out. Last time on first down, I called this. I didn't get anything. This time on first down, let me call this and see if this will work. And then that don't work. And then you're like, okay, let me call this the next time on first down and see if it works. And then that don't work. And you're like, oh, my God, I got to come up with something else. We, we don't have time to run all these other plays I got on my script. I got to X them, you know. And then when you start the game off, your first 10 plays are always scripted, you know. So you come in first and 10, you know exactly what play you're going to run. And that play that you call on first down, the very first play of the game, that play can bust for a 100-yard run or a 100-yard pass because you believe they're going to come out in this front in this coverage, the first play. You're calling the perfect play to beat that front and that coverage, that first play. If that play doesn't do what you want to do, then you have to go to that second play on your script. At some point, if it's not working, if it's not working the way you want it to work, you're going to abort that whole ten plates. Scratch it, forget it, 
it's not working. You know, you're going to go to something else. So that's what happens when you look at these call sheets. They're very detailed. You know, you got cover two beaters. You got cover three beaters on there. You got cover zero beaters on there. You got cover one beaters on there. And then you also have first down calls, second down calls, third down calls. And they're very detailed. And then you have plays just for Hollywood. And then you have trick plays. And then you have plays for Duvernay. And then you have Mark Andrew plays. You know, that's and that's how it goes, right? You know, you sit down and you think about it. And one of the disappointing things for me is that Le'Veon and Bell only touched the ball three times. You know, and it's like when you get behind in the game, scratch your whole game plan because now you got to play from behind. I almost wish we went into like a no huddle situation, Bo, and just call plays fast. I think that kind of would have shifted the tempo a little bit. The problem with that is, is that when you call plays fast, you might get three plays off in 15 seconds and your defense is right back on the field. So when you're playing behind and your defense is already on the field, it makes you not feel safe to even be able to go in those situations to try to apply pressure back on the other team. And you you praying that something good happens with a play call that you call. That's a, it's a good point. I mean, you talk about the offensive coordinators hoping that this is a first down. The defense has to be back on the field. I guarantee those defensive linemen are sitting there saying, please get a first down so we don't have to go back on the field. Um, the Ravens announced this week that Derek Wolf will not play this season. You know, he's been out since training camp. He's bothered by a back and a hip. He came back from injured reserve, practiced a couple times, but obviously things aren't right with him. This week, he hits the 21-day window where he would have to return from injured reserve or stay on IR all year. John Harbaugh made it sound like he will, in fact, go back to IR or will, in fact, stay on IR all year. So they lose Derek Wolf, who was a big contributor last year. This defensive line is not particularly deep, but let's talk just briefly about Calais Campbell. This guy, again, partially because Wolf has been hurt. He's been, Calais Campbell is 35 years old, and he's been playing 70, 75, 80% of the snaps on this team defensively. Um, You know, he's a former Walter Payton man of the year. His off-the-field character things are off the charts. But on the field, he has been really consistent for um, a defensive line that has really needed him because some younger players like Justin Matabike, who flashed a lot in training camp, has been on and off in terms of how much he's produced. They haven't done a lot in terms of pressure in the middle. But talk to me about Calais Campbell and how difficult it is for a 35-year-old guy to do that in the trenches every week. Man, Calais, man, I, I can't. you can't say enough wonderful things about him as a man as, and as a player. But what I saw against the Dolphins, he was just getting beat up. You know, like they are double-teaming him. They're chipping guys on him. And you normally don't see an interior guy get chipped. You know, but when you got a – a guard or offensive guard or a tackle that sets on another guy, that guy doesn't come. And then he looks for Calais specifically to come back to kind of crack back on. And while the other guys engage with him, you know, he's getting knocked down and pushed down sometimes, man. And you, you looking at him like, man, they, they beat my boy up. You know, you know, they're going to double team him, but he, he needs somebody else around him that requires that type of help, you know? Um, and, and you know, you're not seeing a lot of double team on other guys on the defensive line, but Calais is getting a lot of attention. You know, he's a big body. He's the anchor of your defense. He's what Kelly Gregg used to be for us. You know, Kelly Gregg, the difference between him and Kelly Gregg is Kelly Gregg was like 5'2". All right, <laughs> and he had long arms, so he could reach out and grab two linemen at a time and just hold on and let, let, let Ray Lewis run free. Calais is like 6'12". You know, so he's seven foot tall out there, man. So it's like guys can easily get underneath him a little bit better. And he plays great with leverage. Let me not even say that because he plays such great Leverage is crazy. You know, for him to be as long as he are and have long arms the way he does, you know, he finds a way to still get underneath those those shorter old linemen than he is. And and he plays with a lot of energy, man. And he's the he's the anchor. He's the anchor of the defense right now. 
You know, he's the only thing that's kind of holding them together. And when you look at how many yards they gave up rushing, you know, that, that's, that says a lot, you know. You know, they kept the Ravens underneath 100, I think around 98 yards, you know, but um, they also kept the Dolphins down, I think, like under 50. I think it's crazy, you know, right? When you when you think you lose a game and you kept them under 50 yards rushing, you know, the turnovers start to be a factor. You know, you got to get more turnovers. And I think that's the thing that's kind of separated us, you know, right now from being great, from being good and being great. You know, um, you see Calais working and battling every single day on the interior line. He needs help you know, from his partners and his buddies. And in past games, he's gotten some from the young guys and stuff like that. They've came up and made some plays. And that's a compliment to who he is because he's still requiring double teams at 35. You know, he's a freaking force to be re- reckoned with. When the Ravens signed him this offseason, I was like, oh my God, but I, mean, <laughs> I think it was, what was the year before last. Right. Year? They signed Calais. I was like, that was a huge pickup. Mm-hmm. Huge pickup. I remember when I was there doing the internship with the Ravens that when I was doing the player personnel internship, you know, Jacksonville came up to practice and scrimmage at Baltimore with us. So we had him in Baltimore for a whole week of practice. Right. That's right. And I remember being on, on the field, like scouting and looking at Clay. It's like man, this dude is freaking huge, man. He's huge. You know, he's, he's, he's like a giant. He's like a real life giant. I don't know if you watch Game of Thrones, but they got giants on Game of Thrones. That's Calais Campbell. You know, it's it's crazy. I mean, when you see out the, the sheer size of this man, it doesn't even seem real. You know, it's like well, the first time you see Shaq in person, you're like, do they really make people that big? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's six eight, three ten. I don't know what they call his weight, but yeah, I mean, he, he's a giant guy. I will say this about Calais Campbell. The first memory I have about Calais Campbell, uh, his first training camp, you know, he's what, 34 year old. Um, he's out there. This is at the time training camp was held, they had practice nine in the morning till about 1130. And the players usually would wander out to the field about 845 or 850. And they're, you know, they're chatting, they're jawing. Maybe they're talking about what they're going to do that day or what they're going to do that night or what they did the night before. And then they come out, they blow a horn and they start with their stretches and stuff. That's usually about 850. At about 8.30, 20 minutes before that. But there's Clayus Campbell, the 14-year veteran, and he's out there half an hour before practice begins working on technique with some practice squad guy who may or may not ever make the team. Um, and it told me so much about Clayus Campbell as a player and what he meant to that locker room. And, and again, that was his first summer here, and you're thinking, well, there's one reason why you bring a guy like this in here, because he's going to... What he's going to do is going to transcend the field and it's going to help in the locker room and it's going to help, you know, for your organization from the top to the bottom. So and the other thing about this Dolphins game, you talk about them pounding away on Calais Campbell. Brandon Williams missed a game again with a shoulder injury. So that's one less guy they have to worry about in the inside of that defense. So that gives them more chance to kind of bang away on Calais Campbell because Williams Williams will often take a guy or he'll often take two guys. But when Brandon Williams is not available, you know, that puts more pressure on those defensive front guys that aren't Brandon Williams. And obviously yeah. they banged away on Calais Campbell. But I, I've been impressed with him all year. And at 35 to do what he's doing is, is really something. Let's briefly look ahead to Chicago, right? The Ravens now 6-3. and three in a, well, This year may be more than any other year, man. This is a week-to-week league. Like with every week, there's some shocking result. And... The Ravens, they play terribly on Thursday. They lose, and then they watch on the long weekend, and 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 the, the Browns get destroyed by New England. The Steelers tie the Detroit Lions, who hadn't won a game, although they almost beat the Ravens. 
and and they still stay atop the division. Now they've get they go to Chicago. They might get Nick Boyle back. They thought they might get him back last week. They might get him back this week. And we talked about he, how he might help. You know, the Bears have a rookie quarterback in Justin Fields, and the Ravens generally generally have made life miserable on rookie quarterbacks, and I, a lot of teams do. But the Ravens are ninth under Harbaugh. The Ravens are nineteen and six when they face a rookie quarterback. Um, they do have to go on the road. Have you watched Justin Fields, or have you seen him on through whether it was through college or playing for the Bears so far? I know John Harbaugh's been impressed. Fields ran for a hundred yards the other day. Um, he's made plays with his arms. He's made played with his legs. Have you watched him in, enough to get an opinion on him? Absolutely, man. I've, I've been watching Justin Fields for a long time. Um, his senior year of high school, I was actually a college recruiter here in, in, for Georgia State in Atlanta. And he's from Atlanta. He's from my hometown. He's an Atlanta kid. He was the number one quarterback in the nation coming out of high school, number one recruit, recruited quarterback. It was him and then Trevor Lawrence. Um, Trevor Lawrence was number two. They both from the state of Georgia. Um, Justin Fields goes on to sign with UGA, um, Gets supposedly got beat out by the quarterback that was already there. And the quarterback that was already there was a phenomenal kid, played. He was a top recruit coming out the year the year prior to Justin Fields came, but already had the locker room. Um, Justin Fields ended up leaving UGA, going to Ohio State, transferring to Ohio State, where he takes them to a national championship. And then he leaves there and, and signs with the Bears. And he's he was the number one quarterback in the entire world coming out of high school. Um, he showed you that he had that same potential in college. He's going to show you that he got that same potential in the NFL. It's coming. Justin Field era is coming. Trust me. You're going to see this guy three, four years, and he's, it's going to be just like Lamar Jackson when he's the face of the league and everybody's tripping out. You got you got Lamar got fans all over the freaking world. They love this guy, you know, because he's just he's the ordinary, humble guy that came from any hood in America, and now he's the star quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. And he plays just like he did if he was a 10-year-old kid. Justin Fields is that same exact guy. Like he's he had he grew up watching Michael Vick. He grew up watching all the quarterbacks prior to him. He has the ability to sit in the pocket. He has the body type where he could take some of the punishment and he can run. The guy's a legit four, 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 five guy. And he can run with the freaking ball in his hand and he can make plays. You know, he's a Russell Wilson type. When I kind of think about if I had to put him in the, in the same kind of category, any other quarterback in the league, I would say he's a Russell Wilson type. We all know what Russell Wilson has done in his league. He should have two Super Bowls right now, you know, but um, Justin Field, his time is coming. I don't know if it's going to be against the Ravens or, or not this week. I sure don't want it to be, you know, even though he's a Georgia boy, I represent all my Georgia boys really, really hard, you know, but um, he, he could come down there and really cause some problems for us, you know, especially the way if we, if our defense come out, hesitant a little bit like they did this past week. And that's why that's how I look at the Ravens defense, because we've always been so nasty. So, you know, just so violent. Right. And it's you're so afraid to be violent nowadays because every time you hit somebody, I mean, we, we even had one in the game where they he hit a guy with his shoulder and they tried to give him a you know a targeting penalty. You know, it, it's so scary to be a football player nowadays. You know, you can't go on defense on the whole offensive side of the ball is being protected. You know, and quarterbacks are making some of the dumbest throws I've ever seen in my entire life and getting away with it because you can't hit them the way we used to be able to get hit. You know, the quarterback used to have to be better and they don't have to be as good as they used to have to be. If we're not on our P's and Q's, if our defense don't come out and play the way our defense played football, we could be in a very long night against the Chicago Bears. What is Justin? Okay. What, what do they have to work? What do they have to worry about most with Justin Fields? Uh, certain throws or the way he can, you know, break containment and run. What, what do they have to worry about most? 
he can make every throw on the field. Kid got a phenomenal. He got a cannon. He got a cannon arm. He can make every throw on the field, and he's smart. He's an intelligent kid. Like he was a four kid in high school. You know, same thing at Ohio State. Did great with his grades at UGA. No problem transferring. Um, he's an intelligent kid. He understands coverages. He understands defense. He's not just legs. You know, he's going to get that. He's going to get that that that, pre, that that presumption just like Lamar did. He's a running back, right? These guys are smart, intelligent individuals. You know, super smart, intelligent individuals. They can figure it out. If you if you put this guy in a situation where he can make his own play calls, he can make his own play calls. Okay, and um, Justin Fields to me, the ad lib is what you're gonna have to worry about when you think you got him down, and you don't because he's a strong runner too. So you could try to pull on him with an arm tackle and he break that tackle, spin out of it, runs across the field and throw it on a rope on a line 40, 50 yards down the field without even breaking stride. He's that type of athlete. He's a Lamar Jackson. You, you're facing basically your quarterback. Your, your quarterback is on one side, and his twin is on the other side. That's basically what you're facing. So you're going to see Lamar Jackson play against Lamar Jackson in so many in so many terms, you know. And um, it's it's going to be it should be a pretty exciting game. The problem is, but when you got quarterbacks like these guys, you feel like there's always a chance to win. So they're never going to get you. Going to blow them out to get these guys to shut it down, you know. Like they're not you're not going to make them tap out. They're going to play because they think at any moment Justin going to make one of those phenomenal plays to give him a spark. Okay, so and it's coming from the guy that handles the ball every single snap. No, that's it. It should be a good game. It's interesting. We talked about the you know the the Bears will be coming off their bye week, and we talked about the Ravens how how important it is to have the bye week and you're rested and you feel better coming out. Here's something that's strange. The Bears have lost seven consecutive games coming out of their bye week. They haven't won a bye week uh, coming out of their bye week since like 2014. So this is what the, 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 yeah, the, the, the Ravens go to Chicago going on the road again. Uh, they will hope to stay in first place in the AFC North facing Justin Fields and the Bears. And then after this one, they start that huge three-game stretch with Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, back-to-back-to-back. So one month from now, we will know a lot more about this AFC North race. But for the Ravens, they need to just bury this Miami tape. They need to forget about it, and they need to turn forward and, and be focused on Chicago, which I think they will be. For Daniel Wilcox, I'm Bo Smoker. We appreciate you listening to this Believe in the Ravens podcast, and we hope to catch you next time on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.